Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, we are continuing our study verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, and we have slowed down somewhat the pace as we are looking individually at the various characters here in chapter 11 and what has often been referred to as the hall of faith. We've looked at Abel and his worship, Enoch and his walk, and today we'll look at Noah and his faithful obedience. So we're going to look at one verse, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. I also want to encourage you to find Genesis chapter 6. Uh, leave a Bible marker perhaps there because we're going to be flipping back and forth a little bit as we did last week with Enoch. And then, of course, in your worship guide is an outline for you to follow along. And I hope that these notes will be a help to you as you continue to study God's word throughout the week. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, the Bible says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Well, what we have in our text this morning is Noah, and we are most familiar with him when we think about the biblical reference to Noah and the ark, the great flood of Genesis chapter 6 through 11. Now, I think it's important to point out that anytime we consider the Genesis flood and the story of Noah's ark, we must acknowledge the truth that sin grieves the heart of God. That is the backdrop of Noah's Ark. It's about the sin which grieved the heart of God. So the story of Noah and the great flood and the ark that he built, it's not, hey, a storm is coming and if you want to be rescued, then build a big boat. That's not the story. The forecast, if you will, is not, hey, Noah, dark clouds are on the horizon. No, the forecast is dark hearts fill the earth. And that's what we see implicitly clear in Genesis chapter 6. In fact, if you have your Bible marker there, just look at a couple of verses with me. Verse 5 of Genesis 6, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, it was great in the earth. And notice this here. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It doesn't just say every thought, but every intent of man's thought was only, only Evil continually. Church, that's a pretty bad indictment. And as bad as things are in our world today, and look, things are bad. But as bad as they are even in our world today, this right here cannot yet be said of it. That every intention of every person is always evil all the time. 
In Genesis chapter 6, there again, verse 11, the Bible says the earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence, and so God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For notice this, all flesh, not most of it, not a portion of it, but, but all flesh had corrupted. Everybody had corrupted their way on the earth. And verse 6 of Genesis 6 says that the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And here's the key that I want you to think about. He was grieved in his heart toward them. There's that word grieved again. This is what we have to think about when we think about the story of Noah's Ark. That's why it's always been fascinating to me to walk into a, a, a church nursery and see paintings of Noah's Ark and, and the animals. Listen, this is not a good thing. Noah and his Ark is about the wrath of God. It's about judgment. There's no better way than to introduce our kids into the world and say, hey, here's Noah's Ark. God's wrath is coming on your life, you know. That's the story. God was grieved in his heart. Why? Because sin grieves the heart of God. That word grieve, we understand. It, mean, it, it brings pain. It brings brokenness. And that's exactly what happens to the heart of God when we sin against him. But that just isn't true in Genesis chapter 6. That's true for New Testament believers as well. Because in the New Testament, Paul, writing the church of Ephesus, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not bring the heart of God pain and brokenness and grief because of your sin. And I think this right here is one of the key parts of repentance. When we realize what not only our sin does to us, but what our sin does to God. It grieves him. It hurts him. It brings him pain. I think sometimes we believe, and I'm just as guilty as anyone, that only the categorically, you know, big sins grieve the Lord. Yeah, most certainly... God is grieved at rape and murder and sexual perversion, abuse, adultery, abortion. These, these what we would say, these are categorically big sins. Those, those obviously bring pain to the heart of God. But he does no distinction between big and little sins. All sin grieves the heart of God. Even those thing, sins that we think aren't that big of a deal. Yes, I'm talking about the fact that our gossip grieves the heart of God. Our pride and arrogance grieves the heart of God. Our dishonesty grieves the heart of God. Our bitterness, our, our anger, our selfishness. Yes, big sins, if you will, grieve God. Little sins grieve God. Church, all sin grieves God. And because of this great sin in the land, God looks down on his creation and the Bible says he was sorry. He was sorry that he made man. Now I want to clarify this. Because it does not mean that God, God was sorry that he created us in the sense that 
he made a mistake. Okay, that's not what it means. It's not saying God looked down and said, you know what, I, I should have never done this. I made a mistake. What was I thinking? We might use that language in terms of something that we have legitimately made a mistake over, right? Uh, what was I thinking? I should have never done that. should have never went here. should have never chosen that, whatever the case may be. That's not what God is saying here. God is grieved at what man has made out of himself. He is sorry at what man has made out of himself through sin. So the backdrop of the Genesis flood is this. God is going to destroy every living thing because of man's continual evil throughout the earth. And that is clearly mentioned to us here in chapter 6 in verses 7, 8, and 9. God says, I'm going to destroy everything, everything through a flood. Yet, in his sovereignty, in his grace, God chose Noah. He chose Noah, and verse 8 says, he bestowed upon Noah his grace and favor. That is, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And for whatever reason, God chose Noah, gave him his grace. And Noah, in verse 9, he became a righteous and blameless man who walked with God, even though he and his family was surrounded by continual evil and darkness. And it was that faith that Noah had that we see elevated to a place of honor here in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's look together at three things back in Hebrews chapter 11 that is absolutely true about genuine faith and, of course, is evident in the example of Noah. Here's the first thing that we see. Number one, faith. We're talking about what faith is from the example of Noah. Number one, faith is belief plus trust. All right? What is faith? Well, faith is belief plus trust. Look at it there in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. So let's take this apart phrase by phrase. The Bible says that Noah was divinely warned. It's a very important word. In fact, I have it underlined here in front of me. He was divinely, divinely it's important, divinely warned. That is, this warning, this message that Noah is receiving is from God. He is divinely warned. He is given a word, a message from God. And let's stop right here and just acknowledge a truth this morning, that this is where true faith begins. True faith begins when we look at ourselves and say, what am I going to do with the divine message that I received from God? Because Noah's not the only one to have received a message from God. We have received a message from God. That's what we hold together in our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation. 66 books that God has divinely inspired for us to hear, know, and receive. And the question this morning is, what is Noah going to do with God's divine message? And what are you going to do with God's divine message? Faith begins when we determine what our response to God's message will be. We've quoted it many, many times over the last several weeks. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, faith can never be separated from the Word of God. Never. 
A person can talk all day long about the faith that they have, but that faith must have something to believe. And you do not have true biblical saving faith if the faith you are referring to is separated from this book. Noah's faith was in direct response to the message that he received from God. And if there is any faith in this room this morning, true biblical saving faith, it is because we have responded obediently to the message that God has given us in his word. That's what Hebrews chapter 11, 7 is reminding us of. It's reminding us that true faith is whether or not we believe God's message to us. Do you believe God's message? God comes to Noah and gives him a message. And the message is in the form of a warning. Look at it again. He was divinely warned of things not yet seen. Things not yet seen. That is, the message God had to tell him were things he had never seen before. This, of course, was primarily that God was going to destroy every living creature by a never-before-seen, catastrophic, worldwide flood. God said to Noah, back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 17, I am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth, God says, shall die by this flood. Now imagine how all of this went down. Because it's quite possible that in Noah's day, Noah's day, not even rain had been seen yet. I don't have time to do this study for you, but if you just jot down Genesis chapter 2 and look it up on your own this week, you'll discover that when God initially created the earth, he created the earth to be watered, according to Genesis chapter 2, by the midst of the ground. We, we have a biblical word that we often see referred to as a firmament. It was a, it was a canopy of water, so to speak, that hovered over the earth that created a greenhouse effect. And so... The beginning of Genesis implies for us that rain falling from the sky is something that the known world at that time had not experienced perhaps until Genesis chapter 6. Now, we don't know that for sure because the question could be, did, did, did rain, waters, and flooding come into effect after the fall in Genesis chapter 3? Because it was in Genesis chapter 2, he talks about the earth being watered by the midst of the ground. So, so did that change after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, or was that implemented in Genesis chapter 6 with the flood? We don't know. All we know is that it is quite possible that at this point, when Hebrews says Noah's getting a message from God about things he's never seen before, that rain could very well have been included in that description. What else had Noah never seen before? Not only had he never seen a catastrophic flood that destroyed the whole world, but he's never seen deliverance from a flood by the means of a massive ship that Noah himself is going to build. God says to Noah in Genesis 6.18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you're going to go into this ark, this boat that you're going to prepare. And not only are you going to go into it, but you and your sons and your wife and your son's wife with you. So what we have here is this larger-than-life boat that God says, Noah, I want you to build precisely to the dimensions that I'm requiring of you, and you're going to build it in such a way 
that not even you nor anyone else has ever seen anything like this before. And let me tell you how massive and extravagant it was. We find out later in Genesis that it would take Noah 120 years to build it. It's quite a long time. 120 years spending time on one boat. But not just any boat, friends. This boat, the dimensions, we're talking about a football field and a half long and about a football field wide, four stories, a little ventilation in the top, one door in, one door out. It's going to have rooms everywhere, enough to hold about 125,000 animals, including Noah's family. And by the way, he doesn't even know how long he's going to be on this boat. And we understand how long. It was a long time. Very long time. That's another sermon for another day about enduring the storms of life through God's presence and help. But in the initial building of the boat, this was a big job. Noah's never done anything like this before, and nobody has ever seen anything like this before. But that's exactly what Hebrews tell us, tells us that faith is, right? Remember, chapter 11, verse 1 of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing God and trusting God for things that we've never even seen. And Noah did believe it. He believed this message. He believed this warning from God in his heart. This is what faith does. Look right here. In his heart, even though he had never seen it before, he began to see raindrops keep falling on my head. Even though he'd never seen it before, he, he began to see in his heart's mind floodwaters rising. He began to see the earth being destroyed. He began to imagine and envision this boat by which animals and his family and anybody else who wanted it were welcome on the boat could be saved. He had never seen anything like that before. But faith believes God and trusts him for it. But faith is more than just belief. As we see here in your notes, faith is belief plus trust plus trust. Because it's one thing to say, okay, I believe you're going to do this, God. It's another thing to trust him with the instructions he's given you in preparation for it. And Noah did that. He believed this message from God, and he entrusted everything to God. Think about everything Noah entrusted. He entrusted his identity. They'd never seen rain, never seen a flood, never seen a boat. And old man Noah with his family, they start building this massive ship by which he's preaching to everybody for 120 years. Rain's coming, judgment's coming, flood's coming. Get in the boat. You're welcome in the boat. If you're in the boat, you're going to be saved. You'll be delivered. He's preaching, preaching, preaching. And everybody thinks Noah's gone crazy. And we used to like Noah. He's a pretty good guy. But now he's talking about all this stuff that we've never seen before. So they mock him and they scorn him and they, they make fun of him. They, they think he is insane. But that's what faith does. When you trust God with everything you have, that means you trust God even with your identity. No matter what this world may think of me, what my family, what my friends think of me, it is more important that I heed the word of God than to make everybody around me think that I'm sane. He entrusted his identity to God. He entrusted his family to God. He entrusted his whole future to God. He had never seen rain, never seen water come in this type of a way, but he still built that boat. 
Why? Because verse 7 says he was moved with godly fear. That's the trust. In reverent submission to God's plan, he trusted everything to God. And may we remember from the life of Moses, excuse me, Noah, we'll get to Moses, but from the life of Noah, that faith is not just belief, faith is belief plus trust. Faith is belief plus trust. Write down number two, faith not only is belief plus trust, but we see also here that faith obeys and acts upon the word of God. So he believed the message, he trusted the message, and notice what verse 7 of Hebrews 11 says. He began to prepare an ark. And he prepared an ark, he built an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world. Think of that first phrase. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Genesis 6.22 puts it like this. According to all God commanded him, so Noah did. Everything God told him to do, He did, and that involved preparing an ark for his family. And for 120 years, he remained fully obedient to God's plan in building the ark. 120 years, church. Some of us are are waiting a long time for some things that we're asking God for. And what happens when we wait a while? If we're not careful, we give up on that. We begin to think it's never going to happen. Do you think there was ever a day that Noah got up one day and said, you know what, I wonder, I wonder if this rain's really going to fall. You know, I don't know, but I think there might have been a day or two like that. Maybe more. But through even the long period of waiting, he remained obedient to God. Why? Because true faith always obeys. And we need to remember that, church family. It is not enough to just say, I believe in something. You prove your faith in it when you obey what it leads you to do. And such is the case with Noah. God told Noah, build an ark. And he proved his faith and trust by building the ark. He obeyed. James chapter 2 Verse 14 says, what does it profit, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? In other words, what good is a man's faith? How valuable is it if he tells you that he's a person of faith but he does not obey God? Well, that's a rhetorical question. In fact, he goes and answers it a chapter later. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead. It's not real. He doesn't even suggest that it's on life support. He says it's nothing. No breath. No life. So say what you want to say about faith, but real faith. Biblical faith, saving faith, faith that delivers us from the wrath that is to come is faith that obeys the message of God by trusting him. True faith, it always obeys and always acts upon the word. And Noah did this fully. God came to him, God gave him a message, and he obeyed and acted upon what he heard. Now, we cannot forget here that Noah's obedience to God's warning was in direct relation to coming judgment. It wasn't just about a boat. It was about escaping the judgment that was to come. Because due to the sin that was grieving the heart of God, the judgment of God by worldwide flood was on the way. And Noah obediently and actively prepared his house to be delivered from that judgment. When we think about 
Noah here in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11, preparing an ark for the saving of his house. Oh, he's not talking about the structure on 3146 Yates Mill Drive. He's talking about his family, his wife, his kids, his in-laws, his children, grandchildren. It wasn't just about the flood. It was about being delivered from the wrath that was to come. So Noah did everything he could in faith and trust, not only to obey God for himself, but to obey God on behalf of his children. And we, therefore, must ask ourselves this morning, am I, are we, obediently and actively preparing our house for the judgment that is to come? We've had a few hurricanes around here, haven't we? But most of the time when they come, we're not prepared for them. I slept through Hurricane Hugo when it came in the late 80s. Everybody went to bed that night thinking it was just going to route up through Charleston and go back to the Atlantic. But then we woke up in the middle of the night, right, or at least my parents did in that case. Turned on the news and said, you're now in the eye of the storm. But, but when you live in places like Louisiana or Florida or Houston, that area, and you're just accustomed to it regularly, and you know the path of the storm is coming, and you watch it on the news as people are doing what? They're getting prepared. They're preparing their houses. They're, they're boarding up the windows. They're getting everything together. This is the picture. This is the picture. The wrath and judgment of God is coming. The storm is on the horizon. We need to be doing everything in urgency, in preparation to prepare our house and I'm not right now talking about the flood of Genesis chapter 6. I'm talking about the coming of Jesus Christ to judge this world of sin. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this of his own words. As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. In other words, they were just carrying on with life like nothing was ever going to happen. Until the day that Noah went into the ark. And he did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Jesus said, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. He's going to come when you do not expect it. He's going to come because people in this world think this is crazy, this is ludicrous, that you just die and you go into oblivion. But no, we, the, we, we receive the Bible as God's word, that we just don't die and go into oblivion. We die and we continue living either with God in heaven or we perish in eternal hell. And the warning is, those who make their house ready, those who prepare their family for the coming of Jesus Christ by trusting in his sacrifice on the cross will be delivered, will be saved. But those who are mocking, those who are unbelieving, those who scorn and ridicule, they will be caught by surprise as much as those who were in the days of Noah. Jesus said, therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. I must hurry. But the last phrase here says that when Noah was building this ark, the whole act of him building the ark, it condemned the world. I had to scratch my head a little bit this week as I was studying this passage and thinking, what in the world does that mean? 
Because we already know Noah was a preacher of righteousness, right? He preached righteousness. But here, here it seems to imply that by his actual obedience to God, he was bearing witness to the message of God. In other words, as he lived by faith, continually preparing this ark for 120 years, his obedience was an ongoing witness that judgment is coming and deliverance is available. It got me thinking. That our testimony of faith is not only about what we say to others. Listen carefully. Our testimony of faith is also about the way we respond to what God says to us. Noah's obedience was a living testimony that judgment was coming. But there is a way of deliverance to the ark of God's safety. Oh, friend, faith. Faith is belief plus trust. Faith always obeys and acts upon the word of God. I don't have time to touch on this this morning, but I think it's interesting to note, though, at least, that Noah is one of many good examples in the Bible by which we should never judge a ministry based upon results. I've heard people say things like, well, I just, I I don't think I can be involved in that ministry. I don't see the fruit in it. Or I'm leaving this church and going to this church because they don't, they don't have people saved and baptized down there like they once did. Well, with that kind of a metric, you would cause Noah to be a failure. 120 years of pastoral ministry and not one convert outside of his whole family. Nobody got on the boat with Noah except his family. By the way, as a preacher of the gospel to me, that's most important. <laughs> I want to make sure my family's safe first. But the point needs to be made. Be careful, church family, that we judge another church, another individual, or another ministry based on the wrong metrics. God never asked you to produce numbers. He asked you to be faithful. Faithful. And for 120 years, Noah was faithful. Let us allow God to give the increase as he did and as he sovereignly chose. Let me give you this last one and we'll be finished. Then we can go to La Unica together. No, not everybody. I don't want to wait that long. (laughs) Number three, faith receives the righteousness and salvation of God. Faith receives the righteousness and salvation of God. Faith is belief plus trust. Faith always obeys and acts upon the word. And then faith receives the righteousness and salvation of God. Look at the final phrase. Because of Noah's faith, notice this, he became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So so because of his faith, he received upon his sinful and depraved soul the righteousness of God. Why is that important? Because it was the righteousness of God that saved him, not the boat. It was the righteousness of God that delivered him. It was the righteousness of God that gave him legal standing before God. In other words, church, Noah was saved and made righteous not because he built a boat, but because he believed and trusted God. He had faith. And I need you to know this morning that there is no way possible for any one of us to be saved from the judgment that is to come unless the righteousness of God is imputed on our souls. 
It is essential that we possess the righteousness of God to be delivered from wrath. It is necessary that the righteousness of God cover us in order to be delivered from eternal judgment. Why? Because you and I are not able to produce such righteousness. Listen to Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. None. That's a problem. Because the Bible, the message, the warning here is the only way we stand before God is if we're righteous. And yet at the same time, the Bible says there ain't nobody righteous. Not even one. In fact, when all this corruption was going on in Genesis chapter 6, Noah wasn't even righteous. Oh, it gets worse. Because in the same chapter, Romans chapter 3, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be made righteous. So not only are we not righteous, but he says, There ain't, y'all like my English this morning, there ain't nothing that any of you can ever do to become righteous. Nothing in our flesh will ever make us righteous before God. But I'm glad Romans chapter 3 did not end with that. For at the end of the chapter it says, but now. The righteousness of God. Yes, the righteousness of God that we need to be saved. The righteousness of God that we need to be delivered. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is to all and on all who believe in him. (laughs) That's the key to deliverance. The only way to stand before God righteous, delivered, and saved is if we have his righteousness. And the only way to get his righteousness is by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, salvation has always come, whether it was in Noah or for us. It has always come by faith in God's plan for deliverance. And the good news is, you and I don't have to build a boat. But we do have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we believe that, we must obediently trust in him alone for our salvation. Are you trusting Jesus? I'm talking about trusting him alone. You just don't believe he exists. I mean, you actually, there's a day you came to the cross. And you realize, Lord, I'm not righteous. And there's no good in me and neither will there ever be any good in me unless you, Father, give me your righteousness through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. You see, the story of Noah is not about being saved from a flood. It's about being saved from wrath and judgment. And Noah was saved, righteous because he believed, trusted, and obeyed God. It's interesting, really, because we and I, you and I can be saved the same way. Judgment is coming, and only those who believe, trust, and obey God will be saved. But those who disbelieve and disobey will perish. Can you imagine the horrific scene that day when the rain did start falling? According to the timeline, the door was already shut. Who shut it? Not Noah. It was too big. The hand of God shut the door. 
And at some point in the timeline of God's world, he's going to shut the door. And whoever's not in the cross is going to perish. It's going to be horrific. Horrific. As the rain began to fall and the waters began to rise, I just, I just envision people standing at the base of that boat just banging. Let us in. Let us in. Had they only believed. Had they only listened to that preacher for 120 years. Had they only, by faith, trusted the God that no one was trusting, then they would have been saved and they would have been made righteous. But they continued to ignore and reject him. And one day, friend, we're all going to stand before God. Every single one of us. And only those who stand before him as an heir of his righteousness will be saved. Because it's not in us. It's about trusting all to him. I'm going to close with this. That word heir of righteousness has just meant something unique to me this week. What is an heir? I'm very careful when I pronounce it because sometimes when I say it, I feel like I'm saying hair. What is an heir? An heir is one who is legally entitled to the possessions of someone else. My parents often tell us, you are our heirs, talking to me, Jared, and Jessalyn, but don't expect much. <laughs> That's what I tell my kids every time we go to Disney World. I just want you all to know, I'm choosing to enjoy life now, but when I retire, you will have nothing. <laughs> An heir, think of this, is one who legally possesses the substance of another. So here's what the Bible teaches about being an heir of righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone, he adopts us. He, he adopts us as his legitimate child. And by adopting us, guess what? He makes us an heir of his forever. That which we do not have, the righteousness of God, the righteousness needed for salvation, that which we do not have, God graciously gives us when he adopts us and makes us his heir, legally and eternally. That means when I was five years old and I put my faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, God gave me the legal rights to all that is his. Because I was not his legitimate son. But now, through faith, I am his legitimate son forever. Well, our, our life took an interesting turn a few months ago, didn't it? 2021 has been one for the record books for the Blankenship family. I went through a series of health problems by which you were so gracious. And still getting through that. And then we get a phone call on Sunday night, July 25th, while we're having dinner with friends. 
Hey, there's a baby being born today. Are you going to adopt this baby or what? He's coming, like right now, in the next 30 minutes. Do you want him? Here's where he's at. Here's where he's going to be born. We're taking the mom in right now. We had nothing. Had no lawyer, no adoption agency, not even one diaper. Now we have a lot of diapers. I'll be honest with you, I was, I was so torn. It's been a hard year for me. I didn't know if emotionally I could do it. But through a series of events that night, it became extremely clear to Kathleen and I that God wanted us to adopt this baby. I've never read one book about adoption. We, we've always been open to the possibility, but honestly, I don't know that we ever thought it would present itself, and it did. And it did quickly. Through a miracle of God, that baby was born. We were able to be with him on day one. He came home with us from the hospital five days later. And through a period of time in which he was born, ten and a half weeks, this is unheard of, he was legally, by Cabarrus County Courts, decreed our legitimate child last week. I got the papers right here in front of me. Decree of adoption. In the General Court of Justice, District Court Division, before the clerk, state of North Carolina, Cabarrus County, petitioning parent number one, Jonathan <coughs> Dewey Blankenship. <laughs> hey, I was named after one of the ducks, Huey Dewey Louie, what can you say? <laughs> no, that's my grandfather's name, and it really offends me that you laughed. <laughs> I mean that, it really bothers me. Stop. <laughs> Petitioning parent number two, Kathleen Tippett Blankenship. Y'all didn't laugh at that. I think Tippett's hilarious. Okay, we're going to pray. But can I read this? I want you to understand about your adoption in Christ. I'll just skip to the bottom. Now, therefore, it is hereby, October the 7th, 2021. Now, therefore, it is hereby ordered, adjudged, and decreed by the court. Number one, that from the date of the entry of this decree, the said minor, Jaden Harold Blankenship, is declared adopted for life by Jonathan and Kathleen Blankenship. And the state registrar of vital records shall make a new birth certificate. For Jaden Harold Blankenship. Number two, that the decree of adoption establishes the relationship of parent and child together with all the rights, responsibilities, and duties between Jonathan and Kathleen Blankenship and Jaden Harold Blankenship. Number three, that from the date of this decree, the adoptee, think of this, is entitled to inherit real and personal property by, through, and from the adoptive parents. And he has the same legal status, including all legal rights and obligations of any kind whatsoever, as a child born, the legitimate child of Jonathan and Kathleen Blankenship. And number four, this decree of adoption severs the relationship of parent and child between the individual adopted and the individual's former parents. No other provisions have any effect 
on the relationship between the child and the parent. Signed October the 7th, 2021 by the clerk of Superior Court. I don't have three children and one that we brought in. I have four legitimate legal Blankenships. Because we chose Jaden. We loved Jaden. And we adopted Jaden. And this paper says, he is my legal and legitimate son. He is an heir of Jonathan. Everything I have is his. Now, one day he's going to listen to this message and remind me of that. <laughs> but let me say, spiritually speaking, this decree can be pronounced in the court of heaven over your life today. You can be adopted for life by the God of the universe. A new birth certificate can be made severing your identity as a child of the devil and establishing your new identity as a child of God. This adoption will establish your relationship with God whereby you become an heir to his righteousness as a child born, the legitimate child of God. And no other provision in this world, neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor darkness, nothing can ever have an effect on this relationship that you have with God. For you are now his adopted child. Oh, and by the way, the clerk of court is already ready. To sign and seal it. You know who it is? Ephesians 1 tells us it is the Holy Spirit of God. And all you have to do is come to him by faith. Will you come to him? And by faith, he will make you an heir of his righteousness. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together for prayer.